Well, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 and then 10 through 13. You can find it on page 886 in your pew Bible, or you can just feel free to follow along with me in your bulletin if you would like uh, to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name's Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be celebrating another Clemson ACC championship and preparing for another playoff run, uh, you know, or some of you are shaking your heads and smirking at me, booing me. That's fine. Uh, I can't help it that we win. Um, Or uh, you could be lamenting uh, Clemson's loss in soccer to Stanford and PKs. Went five and then in the one-on-ones, they went out. They would have gone to the final four, but we didn't want to get greedy. Uh, And so... uh, You could also be at home putting up your Christmas tree while listening to Alvin and the Chipmunks. You could be preparing to come back for tonight, five or seven for the carol, lessons and carols, or you could be in awe of the fact that the the Pantone color of the year is blue, which is the Advent blue and is on the website. We, who knew? That's amazing. The Pantone chose the Advent blue, which is fantastic. Uh, but you're not in all of those things. You're not doing any of those things. You're here uh, with us. We want to thank you for coming. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer's a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we could learn uh, to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in that love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in order to remind each other. And so we gather and we celebrate, we gather and we read the Bible, we gather and we pray, we gather and we just spend time with each other in order to remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love, as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors who are here in Urban University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out from us throughout the entire world. That's who we are, a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this Advent season, our theme is He is Given. And the reason that this is our theme for this season is because Christmas really is a season to receive. We talk about it as a season to give, but it's really this season to receive. And of course, we give in light of the great gift that God has already given us, but we must first receive him. And so before you get all busy over the next few weeks, before you plan anything, before you go buy anything, right, before you give anything, we want to invite you to rest and to receive the great gift of God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to consider this great gift of Jesus as found in John chapter one. Last week, we talked about the word given. This week, we're gonna talk about the creator given. Uh, next week, we're gonna talk about the light given, then the life given, and then finally, he is given. All right, so with that in mind, let's look together. John chapter one, verses one through four, and then 10 through 13. In the beginning... 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The gospel of the Lord. Would you pray for me now? Would you pray with me now for the teaching of the Lord's word? Father, we are thankful for this, your word, that you are a God who is not hidden, nor are you silent, but you love to draw near to your people so that we would know you as our father, so that we would know you as our elder brother, so that we might be filled by you. We pray now that as we attend unto your word, that you would attend unto us by your spirit, that we might see lovely things of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if any of you have been watching season three of The Crown on the Netflix, uh, but if you have been watching it, you might remember uh, season three, episode seven, also entitled Moon Dust, in which Prince Philip is in awe of the moon landing. And this landing essentially leads to a midlife existential crisis in him as he begins to question his own purpose and his own place within the world. And so throughout the whole episode, he's been mocking the dean of the royal chapel because the dean has been gathering these struggling priests and they're reading and they're praying and they're talking about their inner lives. And so uh, all in the midst of the moon, right? All in the midst of these men going to the moon. And so after the moon landing and after they come back, the astronauts go on this great tour around the world and they actually come to London. They go to the palace and Philip is all excited because he wants to meet these men who have done all these great things. And so his great hope is that Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins are gonna be able to answer the big questions of life about meaning and about purpose because these were these men who had gone where no one else had gone and his hope was that they had gained this wisdom about humanity's place within the universe. As you watch it, I think the director probably takes some liberties as he portrays the astronauts as shallow and unthoughtful. Uh, but the story as it goes on uh, tells about how these astronauts were actually really interested in the prince. And they were asking him questions. Well, what's it like to live in this palace? What's it like to be a prince? What's it like to be married to the queen? And at the end of this meeting, Philip seems to realize that these astronauts, they're just like him. They're, they're men, he was just doing their job, living their lives, trying to figure out their place. And he realizes about halfway through this interview that they don't have the answers that he's looking for. They are not able to satisfy his royal angst. And so Philip uh, goes back to these clergy that he's been mocking throughout the episode and he sits down with them and he makes this confession to them and he says this. You know, my mother died this year. And she saw that something was amiss. He begins to ruminate on this word amiss, that, that something was missing. 
It's a great word, right? A miss, something is missing. And so she asked me, how's your faith? In searching for words, he says, I have to confess that I've lost my faith. And the loneliness and the emptiness and the anticlimax of going all that way to the moon to find nothing but haunting desolation, ghostly silence, and gloom. That is what faithlessness is. As opposed to finding wonder and ecstasy, the miracle of divine creation, God's design and purpose. What I'm trying to say is that the solution to our problems is not in the ingenuity of the rocket, the science or the technology, or even in the bravery of those men. No, the answer is in here, and he points to his head, or it's here, and he points to his chest as if to his heart, and then he says, or wherever it is that faith resides. And I think that this confession that he makes is an amazing confession, and it's one that many of us, I believe, can resonate with, because what he's saying is this. He's saying, despite who I am as a prince, despite all of my accomplishments in this world, I still don't understand myself. I still don't have enough. I'm still not enough. I don't understand who I am or why I'm here, and I have lost my faith, and I've lost a sense of awe and wonder in this world. And Advent is a season, it is a gift to us because it is inviting us to believe once again. It is inviting us to confess our disappointments, to confess our confusion, to confess our struggles, and to begin looking away from ourselves. Not as Philip says, in here or in here, but to look up. And to look outside of yourselves and to look away from all the things that you're trying to accomplish and to look to God and what he has done in the gift of his son, Jesus. And I think that this is really important because I believe that Philip's confession mirrors the confession of Western culture. As a culture, we have lost our purpose We have lost our sense of awe. We've lost our sense of wonder. And even though we have done so many things, even though as a culture we have accomplished so many things, we went to the moon and we came back from the moon and we are still lonely and we are still empty and our accomplishments are not enough. And it seems to me that the confession of our culture is the same confession of that of Julian Barnes, who in his award-winning book began it this way. I no longer believe in God, but I miss him. I no longer believe in God, but I miss him. You see, in losing God, we have lost ourselves. We have lost our purpose. We have lost our sense of awe and wonder. And we are left trying to answer the deepest questions of humanity on our own. Because if there is no God to define us, if there is no God to give us joy or hope or awe or wonder, then we are left alone to answer the big questions that every human is asking. Who am I? Is there any purpose? Is there any meaning? What's the point of all these things? Does the creation actually matter? Why are we here? Now, we can answer those questions in a variety of ways, but I do believe that Philip is on to something because when we reject God, we lose ourselves. 
We lose our meaning. We lose our purpose. We lose forgiveness. Right? We lose our sense of wonder because we have lost the humility and the joy that comes from being created. We've lost, the, we've lost the humility and the joy that comes from being created. And therefore, we are a people who are filled with arrogance and pride, who think that the world is all about us. And so we are left to define ourselves, creating our own identity, doing what we want, consuming uh, this world, mastering this world, exploiting this world, hoarding and monetizing the very creation, rather than receiving all that we have as a gift from the Father. Instead of, like, we've begun to use it and to exploit it rather than to receive this from our Father's gracious hand. But what if there really is a God? And what if that God has not left us, but we left him? And what if he is one who actually has drawn near to us in his son, Jesus? Again, that's the point of Advent. It is the reminder that God has not left us. But he loves his creation, he loves his people, he loves his children so much that he has entered into this world in order to restore that which has been lost. He enters this world in order to restore his lonely, angsty children to himself. And that's the point of John chapter one, that the creator has entered into his creation for that which he loves. Notice what it says in verse three. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Notice what he says then in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now this is amazing. Because the God who made all things is the God who entered into that which he had made. And one of the great themes that runs throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end is that we have a God who delights to come near. He's not a God who sits up there off distant and looks down at us and yells at us and says, fix it. He's not a God who sits off in the distance and says, fine, do it your own way. He is the father who sent the son in order to restore the creation that he loves. And I think that this is important because if you're anything like me, it is easy to think about the creation sort of as this big divine exper- experiment where God just sort of said, let's see what happens. Or it's this random series of chaotic chemical reactions. Or maybe a more sanctified way of viewing the creation would be that God made this beautiful world uh, in order to sustain humanity. But as you read John chapter 1, John is inviting us to think more deeply about this beautiful world that God has made. And he's putting it into the context of the grand narrative of God. And we've talked about this time and time again, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created this world out of the overflow of their love. And the climax of their love was the creation of humanity, the sons of God, Right? Those made in his image, placed in the world to fill it with the glory and the love of the Father and to care for that which God had given them. If you remember the story, is God says to his children, he says to Adam 
and to Eve, I have given you every seed-bearing fruit. And essentially in saying that, what he's saying is this. The garden is yours. And the way that we sing about this in the song here that we sing at Redeemer, Feed on Me, is all this I give you. All this I give to you. The creation is a gift from the Father and our elder brother, Jesus. And they wanted to fill it with a large, beautiful family. And this changes everything about the way we view the world in which we live because what it says to us is everything is gift. All is gift. From the hand of your father and from the hand of your elder brother. And it is to be received from him. It, dads love to build things for their children. I remember when my kids were little, I gathered some of my friends together and we built a tree house in the back yard. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had a friend climb a tree and we hung a tree house around the tree and, uh, so that my kids had a place to play so that they could climb up into a place where they would normally not be able to be and they could sit up in the canopies and they could look out uh, over the valley that was in the backyard of our house and they could play and live in a joyful way and pretend in this world in which we live. Or you think about the goofy things that dads do, the goofy things that dads draw, the goofy voices that fathers will do for their children, all in the hopes that their child will laugh and smile and enjoy the day. Or you think about the things that we do, the things that we point out so that our children might be filled with awe. The creation is God our Father doing that big. Doing it very, very big. Think about your tongues. Like, they distinguish, right, the, the bitter from the sweet from the salty. Think about your eyes and how they can distinguish all the different colors of the rainbow. Think about the wonder of looking out over the edge of the Grand Canyon or the first time that you went to the beach and you felt the sand beneath your feet and you heard the waves crashing for the first time. Or think about how you stand out on the beach and you see those fins sort of swimming and everybody's pointing and everybody's ooing on and going, is it a shark or is it a dolphin, right? It's a dolphin, we're safe, right? Or think about when you see, when you're down at the Gulf and you can see into the waves and you watch as the sea rays are just sort of surfing. Or when you watch your little children as they sit on, on the sidewalk watching ants sort of scurry around. Or if you just sit and listen on your back porch and you hear all the different bird calls, we can distinguish the different birds from one another as their voices fill the air. Think about the silly blobfish. I don't know if you've ever seen a blobfish, but it's essentially a bald old man. Uh, that's what it looks like. Look it up. It's amazing. And I think God made the blobfish so that we would laugh when we saw it. Or you think about a fern as it unfurls on a riverbank. Or you think about a daffodil that's coming up out of the last snow. Or you think about the aroma of jasmine that fills the, the summer sky. 
These things are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit saying, all this I give to you for your joy. And as sons and daughters, we were meant to know and to respond to the Father's love. We were meant to fill this beautiful creation with the love of the Father. Andy Crouch, in his really fascinating book, Playing God, says it this way. He says, it is the creator's desire that the earth be filled with glory, refracted through the dominion of his image bearers, fruitful and multiplying until there is nowhere where the true God is not named and known. The point is this, the father's desire is that his children would receive and care for his children. I mean, would receive uh, the creation, would receive and enjoy the creation and fill it with the knowledge of the love of the father. And sadly, as a people, as his children, we then took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, disobeying our father. And essentially, when we did this, here's what we said to our dad. The creation is now ours. And we will do with it what we want. And from that moment on, humanity has attempted to take place of God, take the place of God. And we've been dividing up into our own families, into our own tribes. We've been attempting to rule and reign over ourselves and over one another. We've tried to rule over the creation. We've even tried to rule over God. And in our attempt to take the Father's place, the order and the beauty of creation has begun to struggle under the rule of man. And you see this kind of worked out in all of our science fiction and fantasy stories, like as the orcs who are these twisted human beings. We can debate that, I know. You can look up on Tolkien or whatever. But these twisted human beings, right, who are constantly destroying the environment, cutting down all the trees, slashing and burning, digging up ditches everywhere, just overturning the beauty and making it horrible. Or if you've ever watched the BBC Doctor Who, you might remember in the early ones, I think it was during the David Tennant years, uh, there, was, there was a season where they're always being called out to the edge of the universe where there was this crack that had to be closed because through it, the evil was coming in. Or if you have watched uh, Stranger Things, you remember the wound that must be closed, right, so that the evil can no longer invade Hawkins. Here's the point. Our rebellion towards our father wounds not just ourselves, but it has wounded the very fabric of the universe in which we live. And so our response has been to blame him. Our response has been to blame our father. Our response has been uh, to uh, try to redefine ourselves, to take control And the creation has begun to produce thorns and thistles as it groans under the weight of our hand. Now, though many people might write this off as a myth, uh, it is the story of our lives. It is just echoing through our lives. We are constantly blaming God for our unhappiness. We are blaming him for not giving us what we want and we continue to doubt him and we continue to rebel against him. 
When we think about our own relationships with one another, we're constantly dividing ourselves away from one another, trying to define ourselves over and against one another. We bicker and we fight. We go to war with one another. We oppress one another. We manipulate one another. We've enslaved one another. We exploit one another. We try to control each other. You think about your inner life. It's filled with anxiety and depression constantly searching for meaning and purpose and we don't know ourselves. And often we hate ourselves. And at other times we really love ourselves too much. Or when you think about the creation, right? It's frustration. Your work is frustrating. Your work is disappointing. It's exhausting. It doesn't provide the way you need it to. And creation is something that we no longer receive as a gift, but it is now a resource to be used and monetized. And in the name of making money, we've enslaved people. In the name of making money, we've destroyed ecosystems and species with our oil spills and toxic waste and pollution and overharvesting. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, the world has been wounded by the fall of humanity. And the way that Paul talks about it in Romans 8 is he says that the creation is groaning. The creation is groaning. And this is why Jesus, our elder brother, entered into the world to meet the groans of, its, of his creation. He entered into the world in order to restore his family and to redeem the world. You probably remember that in Colossians chapter one, uh, Paul tells us that Christ came to reconcile all things to himself. All things to himself. And this is why one of our favorite songs to sing at Christmas is Joy to the World. Right, joy to the world. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And where is the curse found? It is found everywhere. It's found in our hearts. It's found in our heads. It's found in our hands and our feet and our bones and our DNA and our viruses. It's found in the sweat upon your brow, the conflict in your marriage, the addiction in your cells. It's found in the education system in which we participate, the financial systems in which we participate, the governmental systems in which we uh, participate, the art that we create, the games that we play. It's impacting everything. The dying coral reefs, the floating North Pacific trash island, the thinning forests, the air that we breathe, even the churches that we love, the curse is flowing through us. And this is why Jesus entered the world, to bear that curse, to close the wound for all who look to him. Notice what he says, to all who receive him, they might be made sons of God. What does God want? God wants a huge family. God wants his children back. And therefore his son, our elder brother, came into the world to lead us back to the father. 
He came to remind us of the Father's love so that we might begin to walk in it once again. And that's the point of Jesus, the true Son, the true image by whom all things were created and through whom all things are reconciled. He has come in order to restore the creation and to return all things to the Father, which begins through the restoration of his children to himself. And as we think about this grand narrative of God, one of my hopes for you this morning is that you would begin to ask, how do I become a child once again? How do I become a child of God? How do I become who I was made to be? And I want you to notice what John says. He says, it's not by blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, And what he's saying is that we are not children of God because of our birth, because of our lineage. We're not children of God because we've been successful and we've tried hard and we've done enough and we've believed enough and we've got our stuff together enough. We are children of God because the Father wants us to be his children. We are children because the Father wants us to be his children. And that is what God the Father is like. He loves his children and he wants them to be near to him. That's what our God is all about. And this is the invitation for us to return to the family through the Son. That's what it says in verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's the deal. We are children because God desires us to be his children and we become children by receiving Jesus, our elder brother, who wants to return us to the Father. Our elder brother has come to bring us home. Now some of you might still be wondering whether or not your elder brother Jesus uh, would receive you. You might want to receive him, but would he receive you? Would he receive you with all of your failures and all of your weakness and all the things you've done? Would he receive you with all of your doubts? Here's the answer. Yes. That's why he came. He didn't have to come. He came to bring you back to the Father. Hebrews tells us, and we've said this over and over again here, that our elder brother Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. And this is really important. Some of you are embarrassed of yourself. And there are others who are embarrassed of us. But not Jesus. And not the Father. And the evidence of that is that he entered the world. The creator stepped into his creation in order to restore us. The evidence is found at the cross where our elder brother went there in our place and the Bible tells us that he did it joyfully and willfully. He endured the shame of it so that you would be exalted. One of my favorite hymns says it like this. Come just as thou art with thy woe. 
fall down at the feet of the lamb, he will not, he cannot say go, but surely will take out thy stain. A fountain is open for sin and thousands its virtues have proved. He'll take thee and plunge thee therein and wash thee from your filth in his blood. So how do you become a child of God? You receive Jesus. You look at your elder brother who tells you the love of the Father and leads you back to him. And when you do, when you receive Jesus, you receive the Father's blessings. And all of creation becomes our inheritance. An inheritance to be received. An inheritance to be enjoyed. And an, and an inheritance to be filled with the great and unending love of our Heavenly Father and our elder brother who has come to bring us home. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your great love for us and it is our prayer that out of it we might live and that out of it you might restore to us a sense of awe and wonder and the humility and the joy of being yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.